Good morning, church. Um, Today's reading is from John chapter 21, verses 15 to 25. And I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter returned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Follow me. So the saying spread among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is it to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many other things that Jesus said. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. This is the word of the Lord. Great, thanks so much. Good morning. Morning. Uh, great to be with you this morning. Um, my name is Mike, as uh, Swazi said. Uh, I just want to echo what she said as well. We, um, if you don't know who I am, uh, we're at a Globe Church, which is just down the road in Elephant and Castle, um, and we've loved partnering with you guys and supporting you um, and receiving help from you guys as well. It's just great to know that there are other churches around London who we can support one another, pray for each other, and help each other out. And, and it's a real privilege that, that I'm here um, to share God's word with you this morning. So. I pray, I pray that it will be a blessing to you um, as we look at this passage. So if you've got your Bibles with you, please do keep it open um, as we're going to work through this passage uh, together. Let me pray and ask for, for God's help. Father, your word is true. Your word is so good. You have the words of eternal life. Father, we come before your word this morning knowing our hearts might not be in the right place, there are things going on in our minds, but Father, would you by your spirit uh, remove those distractions and help us to see this beautiful scene, this beautiful scene of restoration of what your son, the Lord Jesus, has done and does today in our lives. 
pray that it will be a blessing unto us, unto this church, we pray for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Great. So um, Yannick told me before he left that uh, you guys are in mission month uh, this month, and you're kind of thinking about what, it, what does it mean to, to be missional to, uh, to London. Um, and if you were here last week, uh, my other partner in crime, John T, was here uh, taking you through the first part of, of John 21. And we thought we'd do like a little mini-series in, right at the end of John's Gospel, just to help you think about what mission means. Uh, the reason being, John 21 actually sort of functions a little bit like the Great Commission in Matthew. Um, it's like John's own version of it. But unlike Matthew's gospel where, you know, the, the famous words that you hear, um, I think you're going through Matthew throughout the rest of the year, so I'm not going to steal Yannick's thunder. But, um, but there you have a sp- very specific command to go out and make disciples of all nations. But here John's taking a different story, and he paints a beautiful picture through this story to help us to see what, is it, what it is that God is doing to, to call us to mission. So my hope is that through this story about Peter, and his restoration, it would fuel us, fuel you guys, as you look to mission this month. But honestly, when you hear that word mission, how many of you are really excited? Hopefully some of you are excited, but many of us, for us, your hearts sort of sink, don't you? You think, oh man, that is so hard to do. You might be sitting there thinking, oh, I'm not, I'm not really good at it, I'm pretty low on confidence, I'm not sure people really want to listen to me. But you need to get this from this, this passage this morning. God doesn't use people who have it all sorted for his mission. Those are not the people that God uses. But you're going to see this morning how God restores broken people, and those are the people he uses for his mission. That is what we're going to see this morning. Now, if, it, if you've ever broken something that's really valuable to you, it's frustrating, right? I've got two young kids, and they, they love breaking things. And then they come, Daddy, fix it. And I'm like, I can't. I can't, I can't do it. But then sometimes my wife, she's really good at fixing things. She fixes it. And it's amazing. The joy on our kids' faces, the joy on my face. Man, it's amazing when someone fixes something that you don't think can be fixed. And then you want to tell people. My kids go, oh, look, my, my mommy fixed this thing. In Japan, there's this, um, I don't know if you've ever come across this thing. It's, it's called kintsugi. Um, you know when you break a bowl or a, a plate or something, what do you normally do? You just chuck it out, right? If you look at the first slide, yeah, so what do you do with that? Nothing. You, you just have to throw it in the bin. Except in Japan, this thing called kintsugi, what they do is they love to see things being restored. And they don't just get some super glue and Loctite and just try and stick it together. What they use is gold. So if you look at the next slide, this is what they start doing. You might have seen stuff like this before. It's quite famous. It looks absolutely beautiful. A bowl that is restored with gold streams flowing through it. But you know what's more beautiful than something like this? Is when we see people restored. People who are broken, who have been torn apart. To see them restored is so much more beautiful than a bowl of gold. Then we love those stories about addicts who have become clean and helped others. About refugees who had no hope but, but have gone on to make a life out of something to help other people. We love those sorts of stories. This morning, we're going to see one of the most powerful and significant restorations in human history of how Jesus comes to restore a man who is deeply broken and ashamed, and he restores him to a whole new life. That is the type of person God will use for his mission. Perhaps you've come in here this morning, you're feeling a little bit broken. 
perhaps you're feeling a bit ashamed, then just watch Jesus. Listen to him through these words. If you're sitting here and you're you're new, new to Christian things, you're exploring things, you're not really sure where you stand, then I'd love you to see the beauty of what Jesus does here. How Jesus restores a man's life. Because that is why Jesus is worth following. That is why we want you to know him. That is why this church is going out on mission, because we want people to see this Jesus. That is what it's about. So let's dive in. Um, what I'm going to do is, um, there's going to be a big thing about restoration that I want to show you from this passage, and then it's going to come into three short applications right at the end, okay? So stick with me in this. Now, if you know anything about John's gospel, John's gospel, sort of, you get to chapter 20, and you feel like, oh, it should finish there. But then you get this extra little bit, chapter 21, and you're sort of like, what is what's going on here? It's a bit like this. You know, you, sometimes you get a main plot in a movie, and then there's a subplot. The main plot's there, but the subplot sort of helps you to understand and see a, a clearer picture of what's actually going on. That's a little bit like this bit here. It's one of those storylines that has to be finished. The main focus of John's gospel is all about belief in Jesus. Do not doubt him. That is central to John's gospel. But there's this subplot running through about this man, Peter, one of his key disciples. And as John concludes it here, it teaches us something about our relationship with Jesus and our call to mission. So the first thing I want us to see is this, being restored. How Jesus can restore even the most broken people. That's the big thing I want us to see this morning. See, last week, if you were here, you would have heard of the story of Jesus inviting his disciples back to the beach to have breakfast with him, with the risen Lord, with the Lord who has come back from the dead. And you would have heard about this new reality that Jesus is dragging his disciples back into. But there's an elephant in the room What about this man, Peter? Here is Peter, who'd swum that hundred yards from the boat to get to Jesus. He's drenched, sitting there, eating some bread and fish in the morning. Except the last time he'd had a meal with Jesus was on that final night before Jesus went to be crucified. And it was on that dreadful night, in those final moments, when Peter, one of Jesus' closest friends, had denied Jesus, had abandoned Jesus in his greatest hour of need. People had come and asked him, oh, I'm pretty sure you're a follower of Jesus. Peter flatly denied it. Not once, not twice, but three times. And here he is sitting there having another meal with Jesus once again. Can you just imagine how he might have been feeling? The usually bullish Peter, vocal Peter, must have been so sheepish and quiet sitting there, wondering, what does Jesus think of me right now? Just at that moment, they finish eating And Jesus turns to Peter. Imagine if you were there, one of the other disciples sitting on that beach that morning. Wouldn't you be wondering, what is Jesus going to say to Peter now? See, Jesus has every right to say to Peter, you know what, mate, I don't need people like you. I don't need a backstabber like you. I don't need someone who betrays me to be in my crew. That's our sort of culture, isn't it? The cancel culture that we live in. Or he could have grilled him and challenged him on everything and exposed and shamed him in front of all the disciples. Look how many times you failed me. That's our kind of Twitter culture, right? But just watch the gentleness, the pastoral wisdom of Jesus. If you read through Jesus' accounts, you'll often see him ask these really sharp questions that reveal so much. That is what he does here. Here he starts in verse 15. Simon, son of John. Just, just a quick thing on this here. 
It's a small but important detail. If you were here last week, you would have heard, uh, as the disciples gathered, they went out to go fishing in John 21, verse 2. If you look back there, you see the list of names, Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, and so on and so forth. And these were actually the names found early on in John's gospel, right back in John chapter 1. See, what John is doing is he's taking us, he's at the end of the gospel, but he's taking us back to the beginning. He's saying, look, the same disciples back then are coming into this new reality, these new beginnings with the risen Lord Jesus. Jesus is reestablishing his disciples, and in among them is Peter. Back in John chapter 1, he said to Peter, you are Simon, son of John, and you'll be called Cephas or Peter. And here is Jesus readdressing Simon, son of John, once more. It's almost as though he's saying to him, look, okay, Peter, let's go back to the beginning. Let's start again. Remember how it all started. This is the fundamental question that Jesus gets to. This is the heart of everything. This is the foundation for Peter. He asks him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? The first time he asks that question, he asks him that three times in this passage. The first time he asks it, did you notice those Three words he adds to it in verse 15. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, there's a lot of discussion about this. What, what does he mean by more than these? It could be the fish. It could be the boats. Like, he could be saying, do you love me more than food? I love food. I find that really hard. Or it could be your career. Do you love me more than these boats, your, your business? Maybe he's speaking of idols. I actually think it's more likely that he's referring to the other disciples. Do you love me more than these other disciples? Do you know why? Because Peter had been that disciple. The one who had said, even if all of you fall away, I will never fall away, Jesus. I will follow you right until the ends of the earth. Right to your death, I will follow you. That is what Peter had said. Peter is always that one who was proud. Proud to say, I love Jesus more than all of you that he would go stronger and further, that he was the leader. But this strong, proud leader had just a few days earlier denied Jesus three times. And so Jesus exposes Peter with this one simple question. Do you really love me more than the other disciples? He strips away all that pride. Everything Peter thought he had more than the others He doesn't do this to shame Peter, but because he wants to get to the core, to the heart of the matter. It's not about whether you love me more than the other disciples or do more stuff or talk more boldly. I just want to know, Peter, do you love me? Is your heart for me? And just watch Peter's response. See, the old Peter would have said, Oh, yes, Jesus, of course I do. I shouted out from the rooftops that I love you. Look at my battle runes. Remember how I got out my sword and cut off Malchus's ear. But he can't say that. Peter realizes he's got nothing in his hands that he can bring to Jesus except this one thing, his heart. And he says, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. That is all he can say. Because Peter's pride is stripped away. His strength, his wisdom, his successes, they all fall into the shadows. All he has before Jesus is the nakedness of his heart. That is all he can offer right now. So let me ask you this this morning. If Jesus were to sit here looking at you right now, what would you say? 
If he asked you that question, do you love me, what would you say? Man, I find this hard. I find it so easy to be like Peter. Everything in me, every temptation in me is to say, look at Jesus, but look at the things I've done. My pride says, you know what? I used to work in, in the city, in banking. I was proud of that job. But I left that all to come and serve you, Jesus. Look at me. We have every temptation to look at ourselves and think, that, look at me, that's how much I love Jesus. Because I do all these things. Because I've done all these things. It's like in those um, rom-coms, if you've ever seen those. Have you ever, anyone seen This Is Us? You're getting a highlight into my, um, a little window into this, the soppy TV I watch. Uh, this is a, it's, it's a great show about triplets. Anyone, anyone seen it? Yeah, yeah oh, great. Fellow friends. Um, in it, there's, there's a scene where Kevin, one of the triplets, is about to get married to um, his, a woman called Madison, who is bearing his children. Let's not go into that issue. Um, and he's, he's, he's this famous actor. He's really rich, and he's doing all this stuff for her. But the night before they're about to get married, she, she has doubts. She's not sure if he really loves her. So she asked him, do you love me? And Kevin sits there going, well, yeah, but I've done all this for you. I've got this big house. I've got the cots ready and everything. But she says again, but, but do you love me? And Kevin's silent. That question is so sharp. So simple, but so sharp. So revealing. It strips everything away. See, set aside all those things that you've done all the things that you said in the past, those things that you're proud of doing as a Christian, and keep asking yourself, where, where is my heart really? Do I really love Jesus? If you're still thinking about that question, Jesus asks a second time, verse 16, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And then a third time, verse 17, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Just a really quick side note here. Um, a lot of people, you might have heard this passage preached before or you've, you've gone through it before and there's a lot of stuff about, oh, the word for love is different in the Greek. You know, it goes from phileo to agape and there's a big discussion around that. But the more I look into it, I'm not sure that's, I'm not sure there's a lot there. John seems to use those words interchangeably, so I'm not going to go into all that stuff. I might be wrong, but I'm not convinced by it. But this is what I am clear on. The third time Jesus asked Peter in verse 17, did you hear it in the reading just a moment ago? Peter was grieved because he said that to him. Peter was grieved. He's hurt. It's not like you get hurt when someone goads you with, you know, British sarcastic banter. It's like when people hear me sing and they say, oh, Mike, you should go out on The Voice. Really shouldn't. Or when, they, when I cook something for them and they say, oh, it, it tastes good, but should we get Domino's? I mean, it's not even like a good independent pizza chain with like a wood-fired oven. It's like dominoes, come on. It's not like that, though. This is gut-wrenching for Peter. Grieved. Like his soul is in mourning, like he has faced death. Because Jesus had asked him this question three times. And the three times reminds Peter of one of the worst things he's ever done in his life. If you come back to the beach with me, there is Peter soaked. He's cold. He's trying to get warm. In the air is the smell of burning embers where Jesus has been cooking this fish and this bread. And he's asked a simple question three times. And just a few nights before, 
He had been cold, trying to get warm by a fire. The smell of burning coal and embers in the air, where he had been asked a simple question. You're a follower of Jesus, aren't you? Three times he was asked, and time and time again, he has said explicitly, even angrily, I am most certainly not. And here he sits with Jesus asking him a simple question three times. And every time he asks that question, it seems to dig deeper into exposing the truth of how far Peter has failed. If the first question had shattered his pride, the third one was now digging out all of his failings that he had tried to bury. He was proud, bold Peter, the leader of the disciples. His pride had been shared and his failings were now being exposed through a simple question, do you love me? But here is the beauty of this question that Jesus asks. Just as it is as it's exposing Peter's failings, it also drives Peter to Jesus. Every time Peter is asked, he can feel his blood rising. His heart is beating faster. He's thinking, I'm being found out. I'm being found out. And as Peter is exposed, all he can do is repeat once again, but Lord, I love you. As each question cuts into his pride, reveals his failings, he is left with nothing but his heart for Jesus. And notice what he says that final time in verse 17. Peter was grieved because he said to him, the third time do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. You know everything. Here is Peter who's holding up his hands, broken and exposed. He's saying, you know everything, Jesus. You know exactly what I'm like. You know how proud I am. You know how exactly I have failed you, not once, not twice, but three times. You know exactly how I feel right now. You know how I felt when, I, when you looked at me through your bruised, blood-stained eyes after I denied you three times before you went to the cross. You know how I feel right now sitting here. And yet you know, Jesus, that I have run to you. I have jumped into the water because this is all I know, that I love you, and that there is no one else, no place else I want to be except at your feet, Jesus. You know everything. You know that I love you. See, Peter has been broken down and stripped to realize that his only hope was in Jesus. Jesus knew this. He knew this all along. He knew all about Peter's pride. He knew that Peter would go on to deny him. That's exactly what Jesus said when he said, I'm praying for you, Peter. More than that, he knew what Peter was like, which is why Jesus laid his life down for him. He had bled for Peter. That is how much Jesus loves Peter. That is how much Jesus loves you and I. See, Jesus is taking Peter through the journey of the cross and the resurrection that he had gone through himself because he wants Peter to see that to truly follow Jesus, all of his pride, all of his failings need to be nailed to the cross. He needed Peter to see that to be a part of this new reality of the resurrection life with Jesus, Peter had to see his old self stripped down and find his new self in Christ alone. Peter needed to know that the only way he could be ever restored is through the blood of Jesus. Now here's the thing. Some of us will be sitting here this morning and we'll be like this Peter of old. Some of us will be sitting here with this veneer of pride, perhaps because of our background, because you've been a Christian for a long time, or the churches you've been to, or the things you've done. 
You might be thinking, oh, great, mission month. I'm so good at this stuff. I told you before, I'm like this. That's what I lean to. I'm proud of the fact that I left a good job to serve at church. I know I can be so proud because of some of the teaching I've had. But Jesus strips that all away. Here's what matters. Do I love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? For others of us sitting here, you'll feel really exposed right now. You will know that you have failed Jesus, even this week, even this morning. Your heart would have drifted, drifted to deny him, to want to deny him, to want to say, I don't want to follow, I want to run. Even tempted to betray and deny the very Jesus who laid his life down for you. Some of us sitting here, we embattled with deep-rooted sins that pressure us away from him. Some of us will be overwhelmed with the darkness of our minds and our hearts that make us doubt, am I even worthy of Jesus? Do you know what I found most helpful as I prepared the sermon this week? Is every time my heart drifted, when I found myself staring into sin, when I found my mind was captivated by something else that wasn't God, I kept hearing Jesus' voice calling out to me, asking me, Mike, do you love me? Not in a judging way. This isn't Jesus saying, how dare you not love me? He's calling you. He's exposing your heart. And he's showing you your need of him and calling you back to him. You might be feeling utterly rubbish this morning. Totally unworthy, sheepish as your pride is cut away and as your sin is exposed. And yet the fact that you're here wanting to hear Jesus, sitting at his feet, is a great sign that your heart is for him. Come to him and say, you know all things, Jesus. You know that I love you. Come to him who gently restores you, who has laid his life down for you, who calls you to eat with him, to follow him, to live for him. Now, there's something that I feel like I need to mention at this point, And I want to do this really carefully and sensitively to you guys. Because I'm fully aware that in the past few years, even publicly like today, you still see it. There have been various failings in, in leadership in churches across the world. And some people look at this passage and think, well, what do I do with that? The first thing I want to say to you is that you've got to see that Jesus' love is greater. Jesus' love is restorative of people who have fallen and failed like Peter has. We need to remember that the gospel is the gospel of grace and forgiveness. But the other parts of the Bible make it clear that restoration of fellowship is not the same as restoration to leadership. Leaders are held to higher standards. And there are characteristics in, in leaders in, in letters to Timothy and Titus that suggest that there is wisdom and discernment that, need, that is needed in restoring leaders. And so be prayerful. Pray together as a church family for your elders, for your leaders. And work together through those things for your current and future leaders. Pray with them. But all of that said, what I want us to focus on is what, what is Jesus pointing us to here? See, what is Jesus showing us? Jesus is showing us that for somebody like Peter, for somebody who has denied Jesus and failed him publicly, Jesus strips him down, exposes his pride and failings to get to his heart. Do you really love me, Peter? That is what Jesus wants. That's his desire. He doesn't want your impressive gifts and skills 
He doesn't want your smart ideas, your leadership strategies, your big sacrifices and all that stuff. He wants your heart. He wants to know that you love him. And so that is a big question for us this morning. Do you love Jesus? If you're looking into Christianity this morning, if you're, if you're still wondering, what do I do with this? I hope you see this tender mercy of Jesus. That even though we sin and we fail him and deny him, he comes to ask us a simple question. He doesn't turn away from us. He just says, do you love me? Not in spite, but because he wants to expose your heart and say, you know what? I'm calling you back. And if you're sitting here this morning, you can answer that question and say, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then remember how Jesus restores you. Remember how he laid his life down for you and how he welcomes you into a new life with him. That is exactly what he's done for Simon, son of John. He's restored him back to fellowship with Jesus once more, to serve him once again, and welcomed him into this new resurrection life with Jesus. And so this is what fuels us into mission, our love for Christ. That's the big thing that we've seen, the restoration of Jesus, his tender mercy and compassion. Do you love Jesus? If you do, then here we go. He gives us three simple things. We're going to finish with these three simple things. The first is this. He, Jesus restores people and calls them to feed. Do you see that each time Peter responded that he loves Jesus, Jesus gives him a task to do. Twice he says, go and feed my lambs or my sheep. And once he says, take care of them. He calls his people to become a shepherd. Now when you think of a shepherd, a, a picture of a shepherd, what comes to mind? What do they do? See, shepherds want to make sure that sheep are well fed. They want to lead them into green pastures and still waters. That is what shepherds are to do. And he's saying to Peter, look, now is the time because you love me. Now is the time for you to go and feed my sheep. It's actually a huge privilege because if you remember, in John chapter 10, Jesus says he is the good shepherd. And Jesus is now saying to Peter, look, this is my flock, but I'm entrusting them to you now, Peter. To those who love Christ. To those who love Jesus, he calls us to feed his flock. Sure, now it's for church leaders and pastors, I get that. But I think there's an aspect that applies to all of us as church family. We are called to feed one another. In John chapter 6, Jesus makes it clear that he is the bread of life. We are told to feast on him who is the word. That is how we feed one another, through his word. As we gather each week here on Sundays, as we gather for midweek stuff, as you look through the Blessed Trinity, you gather to feed one another through his word, to feast together. But it's not only about teaching and feeding of the word. What else do shepherds do? They're there to care for the, shop, the flock. They're there to protect them. Shepherds not only feed their sheep with nice grass, but they're called to protect their flock from the wolves and bears that come to prowl and prey on them. And so we need to protect one another. It means that we want to keep one another falling off the wrong path from the edge of cliffs. We want to push each other, not, not over the cliff, but back to the right path. So as you head out into mission, keep feeding one another with God's word. That is the fuel and the means of our mission. Remind each other of all that Jesus has done. Remind each other of his great love for us, how he's redeemed and restored us. Keep asking each other, do you love Jesus? 
and speak that same truth to the lost sheep out there so that they might join the flock, that they might be shepherded and protected from the lies and deceit of this world. We are restored to feed, to feed one another in here and to feed others out there as we head out into mission. So that's the first thing, feed. The second thing, we're restored by Jesus and called to follow. As we feed and protect, we have to remember that we are always still part of the same flock, that there is only one true shepherd, and the sheep need to hear his voice and to follow him wherever he calls. See, it's funny. Remember I told you about the old Peter who said, I will lay my life down for you, Jesus. He was so confident and proud that he had the power to bring glory to God, to his master, by willingly laying his life down. But he failed in his own strength. He couldn't do it. But Peter is now, he's exposed. He's, he's stripped of his pride. All he can do now is confess his love for Jesus. And Jesus now says in verse 18, you know what? Peter, now you're ready. Now you're ready to follow me where you couldn't go before. Now you're ready to bring glory to God with your life. See, verse 18, it speaks of how Peter is going to be led and dressed by other people, speaking of his death. See, Peter had spent years on mission for God to the point where the world wanted to get rid of him. And tradition says Peter was led away and crucified. But he said, you know what, don't crucify me upright, but crucify me upside down. Because he didn't want to dishonor his Lord, his master, in the way Jesus had died for him. Now, you might think it's pretty dark talking about how Peter died. But for Peter that morning, those words would have been so comforting to know that Jesus has said, you're restored to follow me exactly where you wanted to go, to glorify God with his life. So for us, we need to think about what, what does that mean for us today to follow Jesus? When you head out to mission, I'm not saying go and, go and get crucified and, and be martyrs. I mean, some of you might... I'll leave that with you. Pray that through. But the most important question you have to ask yourself is this. It's not about, look, do I have all the answers to the difficult questions? No, that's not the big question. Do I have my life sorted? No, that's not the big question. The, the question that Peter had discovered was this. Do you love Jesus? Do I love Jesus? That is what fueled him to the point where he could glorify God with his life. Let your love for Jesus be what fuels mission. Follow him. That is why Peter was willing to lay his life down for him. The love for Jesus must fuel our mission. Our love for Jesus will keep us firm when it's hard, when people mock us and goad us, when we face fear. Your smart answers, they're not going to be, they're not going to be strong enough. I've never found it has been. What's held me firm is to know that Christ loves me and I love Jesus for all that he's done. That is what we want to tell people. So follow him who loves you with his life. Okay, stick with me. Here's the last thing. Third thing. People restored by Jesus are called to focus. This last bit is a little bit weird. Peter talks about, you know, he's, he starts to physically follow Jesus and then he looks back and he sees John. And he says, what about him? Now, there's probably some sort of rumor about John that Jesus goes on to explain that in verse 22. But this is what I want us to see from this. Peter has just been restored to follow Jesus once again. 
But you notice how already his focus drifts back to John. And Jesus says, look, what is that to you? Keep your focus. You must follow me. He says that in verse 22. Do you see that? If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? It's so easy. I find it so easy to lose my focus. I so, at the Globe Church, it's so easy to look at other churches and see the things that they do. The people that gather there, the events they put on, and think, oh man, what about them? What about their ministry, Jesus? To look at their so-called successes and think, oh, if I just did it like that, if we just did it like that, then just maybe. As you head out on mission, you might hear of other churches seeing tens of baptisms come, and you think, man, maybe we need to do exactly what they do. Or we can look at it individually and think, oh man, if I just had those gifts that that person has, if I could just be more like them. Some of us want to be Peters who are Johns. Some of us who are Johns want to be Peters. And Jesus says, look, what is that to you? Forget about that stuff. Instead, I hear Jesus saying, do you love me? If you do, then just keep following. Keep your focus. Because Jesus calls us all to feed his sheep in some way. And each way may be quite different. And that is a beautiful thing. That is why we go together as a church, celebrating the gifts that God has given us. We need Peters and we need Johns. We need Marys and we need Jameses. And so together we celebrate the missions of other churches, of other people. Because as we see that, we see how Jesus is restoring those across this great city. There are many others coming alongside who are saying, I too love Jesus like you do. So friends, let's keep our focus as we head out to mission. Feed one another. Follow Jesus and keep your focus. We are restored by Jesus to do that. We are called by Jesus to do that. And as you head out to mission this month, keep asking, hear that question from Jesus. Do you love me? May that be the fuel that fuels your mission this month. Let's pray together as we finish. Father, this, this passage may have re uh, revealed things in our hearts that are hard. They may have exposed our pride and our failings in many different ways. And yet we hear Jesus in his gentleness, in his pastoral care, restoring broken people like us, like me. Father, pray that would comfort us this morning. Pray that would drive us towards Jesus to say, all I have to give is my heart to you, Jesus. To say, all I have to give and offer is my love for you, Jesus. Pray that would heal and restore our hearts this morning. And pray that that might fuel us as a church to go out and tell others of this great love that Jesus has for us. So that they too might come and say, yes, I love Jesus. I want to feed. I want to follow I want to focus on him. Father, thank you for your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has done this all for us. We want to give him all the glory. Help us to look to him and confess to him each and every day, yes, Jesus, you know all things. We love you. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.